now is the time for uh, the scripture reading that Pastor Craig is going to dive into today. So if you have your Bibles out, um, it's Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man dis- disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Thank you, Dina. Good morning, everyone. My name is Craig, the pastor here at Hope Jersey City. So glad that you're here with us. Um, if you guys have been with us for the last couple of weeks, we're actually like heading to the conclusion of our sermon series that we've titled Telos, Telos, um, Telos is my Nigerian way of saying it. Um, but pretty much what that means is just a Greek way of saying um, object, aim. What is your aim? What are you aiming for? What, are you, what is your primary objective? What is the thing that is most important to you in your life? And we looked at the temptations of Jesus, and now we're looking at Deuteronomy, where the, the, the passages that Jesus actually quoted in his temptations. And as we dive in this morning, we'll be looking at something that's pretty um, common to every one of us. Um, one of the questions I want to ask, even now, is how do you typically react when you find yourself in any difficult situation, in any setback, any pain, any suffering that you might be going through? Um, maybe at work you're feeling overwhelmed and your boss is just crazy and just getting on your nerves. How do you react when that happens? When do you, how do you react when you find yourself um, in a relationship that you don't want to be in? Maybe your marriage is, you're just going through a tough time in your marriage. and What's, what's happening there? What's happening in your heart? Or even this, maybe you lost your job. Or you're dealing with a sickness. How, how do you react? If you're anything like me, probably react in anger, bitterness, Depression, right? Sometimes ignoring that setback or whatever, that failure or that pain, just ignoring and pretending it doesn't even exist. Other times it's escaping through media, through social, you know, being social, hanging out with friends all the time. Or sometimes even dreaming dreaming about moving back home, wherever home might be for you, right? I want to go back. I think it's going to be better at home. How do you deal with it? I think we all have coping mechanisms for dealing with our pain and our suffering, whether for good or for bad. But I think oftentimes our response to pain and suffering are typically misguided or unhelpful. 
I'll give you two reasons why that might be the case. One is comfort. Um, I think we're all accustomed to uh, certain levels of comforts and convenience. We've come to expect a level of lifestyle and service, right, in our lives. If you're sick, there's a CDMD right across the block from you. If your dog needs grooming, there's a grooming place for your dog. Whatever you need, it's, it's right there just a few blocks from you. We have all the comforts and the convenience in our lives. When you go to a restaurant, you expect a certain level of service, a certain level of treatment. That's why it's always funny when you go, you know, you go overseas and you read reviews of, of a restaurant. A lot of times, especially from Americans, oh man, the service was terrible. They treated me so poorly. They were so rude, but the food was good. Because we expect a certain level of service. But when you, if you guys know, like I'm from Nigeria, and you know, like people are rude to you all the time. You don't go there. For, you don't go to restaurants for for service. You go to restaurants to eat good food. But because we're Americans, we expect a certain level of lifestyle, a certain level of service. It's interesting, in the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, the authors write about this problem, the problem of progress, as, he, as they call it. Because we benefit from living this luxury, this highly educated, right? we live in a prosperous segment of the world. So we have the luxury of the abundance of food, of hyper-connectivity. Um, we have the luxury to ex- escape our work and go on vacation whenever we want to. We have the simple luxury of even shutting down the news because it doesn't impact us. This is, I don't feel like dealing with this. This is hurting my soul, so I'm going to shut it off. But there are people who are actually dealing, who are impacted by what's happening in the news. But we have the luxury of doing that. This is something they're right. They say the comfort and Physical, bo- uh, physical safety are boons to humanity. They're great. They're good. But they also bring some costs as well. We adapt to our new and improved circumstances. But then we lower the bar for what we count as intolerable levels of discomfort and risk. Right? There's nothing... It's great that we have all these luxuries. Good. It's... it's is good progress. But at the same time, we have to realize and, and come to recognize that all that progress as well has enabled us to, to um, has enabled us to uh, not being able to deal with certain levels of discomfort. Right? There's a limit to our, uh, our discomfort. And I think this impacts the way we deal with pain, the way we deal with suffering. Because of that, we tend to escape, tend to ignore, or we tend to overreact with depression or sadness or whatever it might be. Secondly, bad theology. Bad theology. Sometimes, I don't know if you've, maybe you've experienced some kind of pain in your life or a loss, and then someone comes to you and says, well, God does not give you more than you can bear. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that's kind of a Christianese thing people say. God doesn't give you more than you can bear. Well, 
that's not really true. If you kind of list out all the things you've gone through this year, you'd probably be like, oh, wow, that was a lot, right? If you list out all the pains you've experienced this year, you might say, no, it was a lot. It was more than I could bear. And the truth is that is not even found in Scripture. So if you say that, stop saying it because it's not true. It's not in Scripture. It's a misrepresentation of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 when he said, God will not tempt you more than you can bear. That's totally different from what they're saying here. God cannot give you more than you can bear. It's totally different. What Paul is saying is that there's always an escape route for you whenever you attempt it. That's what he's saying. God would always give you an escape route when you are tempted by sin or evil. But as far as trials and sufferings, no, they're, they're, yeah, sometimes you will experience more than you can bear. But there's a reason for that, and I'll get to that later. This, this past weekend, we saw the anniversary of Parkland shooting. Tragic loss. That, that's inexplicable, right? It's tragic. That's way more they can bear. The New York Times did a piece about some of those kids who are uh, like ha- talking about how they were impacted by that tragedy. And yeah, it's painful. It's beyond we, what, whatever we, any of us can even think or imagine. It's painful. So yes, sometimes we deal with things that are more than we can even handle, more than we can even bear. Second, uh, another thing that you might hear people say is, well, everything happens for a reason. You just lost your job. Well, everything happens for a reason. There's a reason why you lost your job. Yeah, it's, again, it's trying to be helpful, helpful sentiment, but it, it's not always true. Sometimes bad things just happen. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes your body gets old. I fractured my ankle. It happened. It didn't happen because, you know, there's this big God, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed, there are a lot of movies about God and God doing stuff up in heaven nowadays, like he's writing every single thing that happens in your life. Well, Craig is going to fracture his ankle <laughs> this, this month. No. That's not the way it works. Again, it's misguided. It's, it's trying to be helpful, but it's misguided. Sometimes evil things just happen. That's the reality. That's the human condition. That's the life that we live in. That's the sinful life we live in. Sometimes things just happen. And obviously there are bigger discussions about that, about evil and suffering that we'll get to actually in a couple of weeks. But today I want, us, I want us to see something about evil and suffering. And all this is to, just to show you this, is that suffering is personal. It's deeply personal. That's why we have so many questions about it. Why am I not succeeding in my job? Why am, why am I going through this sickness? It's so personal to us. But at the same time, I want us to see that suffering is also universal. It's inevitable. Jesus said, I forget the passage in John, he said, in your life, there will be many trials. There will be many tribulations. 
What is he saying? It's inevitable. You will experience trials. You will experience suffering. But then he gives us hope. He says this, but listen, I have overcome the world. That's the hope we have, that Jesus has overcome the world. So the question for us that I want us to really get into is how then can we respond in a way that is healthy, in a way that is helpful? I think if we can understand what God is up to during our suffering, in our suffering, in our pain, that we can ever slightly see that there is actually a redemptive purpose in all of our setbacks. That God is able to use our pain and our suffering for a redemptive purpose. And this is what Moses was trying to tell them. He was reiterating to them in the passage we read. That in spite of your pain, in spite of your suffering, God remains faithful. God is still present. God is at work. Much of what he wants us to know is that there is hope. And I want us to see this in three ways. We see God at work in three ways from this passage. His provision, his protection, sorry, his provision, his preparation, and his personification. That's what God is doing. You see, what we see in this text is that in the midst of their wilderness experience, because what Moses is reminding them in the text is like, listen, you were in the wilderness. You were, for 40 years, you were actually in pain and suffering. He's reminding them of that. But then he's also reminding them of God's provision during their pain and their suffering. And these are typical, th- typically things we tend to forget. We forget that in our pain and our suffering, oh yeah, God is not, he doesn't care about me. He's nowhere to be found. But Moses is reminding them that, no, he was actually providing for them. And what we see here, he said, it, Moses tells them, there's the miraculous provision of food, miraculous provision of water in the wilderness. And you have to understand this. These people did not have a savings account. They did not have an emergency fund, right? They didn't have... Uh, uh, a home base where their parents were or uh, other relatives were where they can go back to because they just lost everything. They had nothing. There were nomads in no man's land. But God was able to provide for them food and water without which they could have been wiped out. But the interesting thing about this is That's not what Moses is talking about here as far as provision. The physical provision of food was not what Moses was trying to get at here. The wilderness experience, the provision experience, the, 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 the experience, the, the provision that God was actually laying out for them was himself, not the food. In verse 3, it says this, that the wilderness, this whole experience was to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out from the mouth of God. What does that mean for us? means, yes, the provision of food was 
was important for them. But that's not the real thing. That's not the substantive thing that God was actually giving to them. He was giving them himself. He was teaching them to rely on him, not on the food. And I think that's apparently what happens to us during setbacks, during suffering, is that the things, the props, the the anchor points that we have in our lives are lost, right? The jobs, the financial security that we once had are gone. What then are we supposed to do? We're supposed to realize that we have God himself, the giver of the gifts that we can ever have, the giver of the jobs that we need, the giver of the food. God himself is the provision. One um, scholar writes it like this. It was like the fundamental principle of their existence. What he was trying to teach them was this, that the basic source of life was God and the words of God. The basic source of life was God himself. God's ultimate provision to us in our season of pain and suffering is himself. And honestly, that's the best thing we can ever need that we've been ever given. Secondly, preparation. I remember um, as a Young, young guy in, I think, in elementary school in Nigeria. And um, um, that was me, yeah. Pensive, thinking about life. <laughs> um, but one of the things that when we were in school, um, you know, corporal punishment was actually part of the school life in Nigeria. So we would get punished. We would get uh, whipped for any infraction, making noises, not doing our homeworks, all these things. Why? Because the, the whole point is that they're preparing us for the future so that we can become uh, uh, better people. We can do the things that we're supposed to do. But one of the things that we all did when I was younger is that we actually wore, we padded ourselves. Like we, ha- we had, you know, the boys, the guys, they were whipped with, in their butts unfortunately, and we had to pat ourselves. And we did that, and sometimes um, we got caught, and then we get even more punished. But again, the whole point of it, again, I'm not saying you should do this to your kids. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the whole point of disciplinary actions, right? When you give your kids a timeout, when you tell them to stop, when you tell them to go to your room, is why you're trying to teach them to be better the point. That's what pain and suffering does. It teaches us to be better people, to turn to God, to turn our sights towards God, to rely on him. It moves us away from self-sufficiency because that's what we're so good at. Americans, Western people, we're so good at being self-sufficient because we're smart, we're brave, we're courageous. We can do it on ourselves. We can do it by ourselves. But God is teaching us, wants to teach us to move away from self-sufficiency, to be dependent on him, to be God-dependent, to turn our lives on him. 
You know, one of the things that we hear a lot, I don't know if you watch ESPN. Not, I don't watch ESPN that much, but whenever I watch it, one of the words that I hear a lot is adversity. It's probably one of the most overused words I've ever heard in my life in, the, in sports. Adversity. Every athlete has gone through an adversity, right? He was injured. Adversity. But the whole point, what they're trying to tell us there is they're trying to give us a good story, right? They're trying to give us a story arc. Well, he went through this. He had so much adversity, so much pain. He was injured, but then he overcame it, and he became, you know, he won the championship, or he won the game. Uh, last, yesterday, we played, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but some of the guys played basketball with other Hope Churches, and our adversity was we lost the championship. <laughs> That was our adversity. So next year, the story will be that we won the trophy, right, Jeff? We won the trophy last, next year. But, but it's, this whole story arc is, is, is really trying to tell us something, that adversities, our pains, our sufferings can be places where we are prepared for our future success. Our pain and our sufferings can be uh, 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 life anchor points where we are prepared for future success. And oftentimes we can waste it. We can waste it away in depression. We can waste it away trying to, again, be self-sufficient. Try to do it, in our, do, it, do it on our own. And God is reminding us here that we can turn to him. That we can depend on him. And oftentimes, the things that we pray for, the things that we're hoping for might not even be answered. That's not the point. The point is that we are propped up by God, that our hands are held by God, that God is walking with us even through our suffering. And lastly, this personifies. And here's what I mean, because I think we can simply forget this, that God himself subjects himself to suffering. Think about it another way. If you're a parent, I love using parents because there's so many parents around us, and I, when I go into their lives, I see this a lot, and I see it with my parents too. The fact that you have to deal with your kids means you're suffering. <laughs> Really, it does. It really does. You have to deal with their disobedience. You have to deal with their, uh, um, their anger towards you. You have to deal with their forgetfulness. You, you have to deal with them. You are suffering. You are subjecting yourself. And it's a good suffering. It's not bad. It's great. That's what God is doing for us. He's subjecting himself for us. He's dealing with us. He deals with our, uh, our complaints, our talkbacks. He deals with us. God subjects himself to us. Remember, this is the same thing. This is the story of the Israelites, that even when he did all these miraculous things for them, what did they do? They complained, they murmured, they turned, they were like, no, you, you brought us here to die. And God still, it's like, no, I'm still, still here. 
still here. He does the same for every one of us. When we choose to turn our backs on him, when we choose to complain, he's still there. He's suffering for us. But more than that, what does he do? He gave himself, literally gave himself for us, right? We know the story. The suffering God became human and died for us. That's what God did for us. He stooped down to our level. Why? So that we can actually love him. So that we can actually be with him. It reminds me of this movie. I don't know if you've all seen it. Coming to America. <laughs> I don't know why I have all these, but it's pretty fun. Um, yeah, it reminds me of Coming to America. So as a young person, I remember watching that movie and being angry. Like, why are they making fun of Africans? Right, that's, that was my take on it. And then when I lived here for a while, I'm like, oh, I get it now. I get it. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But what? In the, if you don't know the movie, the movie is about this African prince played by Eddie, Morf- Eddie Murphy, who's not an African, obviously. And he decides to, you know, he doesn't want to get married in his big, you know, kingly place because he wants to be with someone that really loves him for who he, he is, not for what he has. So he decides to go to Queens to find his queen. <laughs> That's the story, pretty much. But what did he do? He became a janitor at McDonald's or McDonald's, right? He became a janitor just so that whoever he meets will be someone that loves him for who he is, but not what he has. Right? Funny story. You should watch it if you haven't watched it. Pretty funny. But I think that's so reminiscent of what God himself has done for us. He became no one. So that why? We can love him for who he is. Not what he can give us, even though he gave us so much. We can love him because of his love. We can turn to him because we can say, wow, this, there is no other person who's done this. We can turn to him because he stooped down to our level, even lower, even unto death. So if we want to talk about suffering, pain. We can turn to God because we can see in him someone who actually knows what that's like. Someone who himself has experienced it. I think of this um, quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this. He said, when pain is to be born, a little courage helps more than, more than much knowledge. A little human sympathy, more than much courage. And the least tincture of the love of God, more than all. He's saying, it's like, yeah, when you're in suffering, when you're in pain, it's, yeah, it's, courage is good. You know, that's the American way. Do it. You can do it. Be all you can be. Helps a little bit. Human sympathy, yeah, and more actually more than courage. That's great. But just a little tincture 
of God's love would help you more than all. And I think that could be our story. That could be, that is my story. And when we experience pain, when we experience suffering, even with all the existential questions we have about it, yes, big questions. But when we turn to Jesus and see in him this little tincture of love, it would help us. It would sustain us. It would give us a better way to respond, a healthier way to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Even before we pray, maybe even now, maybe just just reflect. Maybe if you're going through a pain and suffering right now, that you can reflect. Think about how is God at work in your life? What are some specific ways you see God working in your suffering and in your pain? Maybe he has brought people around you to help you. Whatever it might be. What are some specific ways God has been at work in your life? Just reflect on that. Lamentations 3 verse 19 says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you that you are at work even in our pain and in our suffering. And I pray even now that whatever we may go through, whatever we are going through, small or big, that we are aware of your presence, that we are aware of your work in our lives, that you provide, that you prepare, and that you subject yourself even to that same suffering. Thank you. Help us, God, so that we can be uh, the people you've called us to be and follow you the way you've called us to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.